Welcome to the MedTech Business Academy, podcast episode 32, Leveraging Market Research. Today, Scott Alexander, Barbara Strain, and Skander Derte discuss how to develop your product and messaging through market research. We hear answers to questions like, what does it mean to know your customer? Have you made a story that resonates with your audience? Do you have a long-term product or are you just chasing a trend? And what does MedTech get wrong during commercialization? Hit subscribe below so you'll never miss an episode and let's now listen in. I uh, wanted to welcome, welcome you back to uh, our podcast. We were having a really interesting conversation uh, and thought we would share it with you. Today, we're going to talk about what med tech companies get wrong in the commercialization effort. Uh, I know as business leaders, it's something that's obviously high in your radars to make sure that you're winning. Like when your team goes out, that they have what they need and they're, and they're driving uh, the growth that you're looking for. Um, and as folks that uh, work with numerous companies in the industry, we see a lot of things that go right and we see a lot of things that go wrong. And so we thought we'd spend uh, an episode just talking through like, what are some other things you should watch out for? So um, as always, Scott Alexander here uh, with my esteemed colleagues, Mrs. Barbara Strain and Mr. Skender Derty. And um, we're looking forward to, to talking this through. I guess I'll just kind of kick off if that's all right uh, with y'all. Sure. Go ahead. One of the things that I see commonly happen is um, a, a lack of product market fit. And um, for those of y'all who uh, aren't familiar with the term or maybe not quite as nerdy as I am, um, what product market fit is we have a product and we know who's going to buy it and why they want to buy it and what motivates them in the process to, to get that buying process to go. And it's it's very surprising to me the number of companies that come to Gyrus Marketing, right? This is what we do is we help drive demand for medical technologies. Uh, they come to us and and they think they have the answer, but they haven't actually figured out the answer. Um, and so we get brought in and again, great, super intelligent people, right? But they're too close to the trees to see the forest. And part of what we end up doing is helping them to figure out, okay, who really wants to buy? Why do they want to buy? And, and what's, what is the actual product that you have um, to do so? And I don't know, Barbara, Skinner, if you guys experience something similar, but it, it gets it, you need to make sure you got that piece dialed in first before you can do really any sort of significant growth efforts. Yeah, I'll, I'll take this from here for a minute or so is when I've in my four years that I've been a consultant now, um, what's really difficult is when I first talk with a client and I'm doing this sort of discovery phase, their goal is basically I'm going to get into an IDN that has 120 hospitals and I'll be golden. Money's just going to come in and that sort of thing. Yeah. And so we go through a, okay, tell me a little more about your product, why you made it, you know, what's really going to do. And I say, well, I'm not sure if that's a right fit. So how did you get there? And so then we, the conversation kind of goes down a different path, trying to determine how they got to that point, when they got to that mm -hmm. point in their whole timeline. Hopefully it wasn't, you know, day one. And hopefully it's time we can still recoup things. So that's one thing is not really using tools and things that are out there, whether the tools are consultants or the tools are available data 
or whatever, but the wherewithal to figure out where are those sweet spots? And then how do I plan and go after those sweet spots? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think one of the key things that I see when there's a lack of product fit, uh, and there's two things that just came to mind. Number one is when companies try to chase a trend mm-hmm. uh, and procedural trends, something happening in the industry, and they try to, like right now, there's still a lot of products coming out for COVID, mm-hmm. um, right? You're still seeing that happening out there. And they're like, well, we we are a disinfectant against COVID. The, in, the world is pretty much COVID fatigued out. As of what yesterday, uh, the 11th of May, it is no longer a national emergency. All right. Yeah. Exactly. And globally, it's not and all that. And globally, it's not. But there's still a rush of products that were working through development stages to catch it. It took them this long to develop. And I understand the product development cycle for medical devices takes a long time. Mm -hmm. But if you're like, oh, COVID, I've got an idea for that. And you hit the napkin sketch in in, December of 2020 and you're only coming out now. That's a poor product market fit, but mm-hmm. we've seen, I, I still see a lot of, it's not just COVID, there's no. procedural trends, there's other things that happen and everybody tries to cash in. And then what happens is you enter into a saturated market yep. or the trend has changed mm-hmm. and now you try to manipulate your product or whatever it is to fit in. Yep. So that's one thing. I, I think the other thing is um, when your market research has an end value of two or less. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that happening quite often um, with small and large organizations. And they're like, we came out with this product because we spoke to Dr. So-and-so. And he said, if, if we only had this product with this widget and this feature, he would use it on all of his patients. And therefore we extrapolated that, that the end value of one must account to all other 2000 physicians that, that match his persona without ever talking to another one. So those are the two biggest hurdles that I usually see when it comes to product market fix. Mm-hmm. fit, sorry. We, um, speaking of market research, Barbara, you were mentioning, uh, we did a, uh, my team did a webinar yesterday about what you can do to prepare your company for commercialization before you have FDA approval, right? And so again, the punchline is there's actually a lot of stuff that you can do to prepare the market that is not talking about your product or things like that, that you can do safely, ethically in line with FDA, right? We'd only recommend doing things that are uh, good in their eyes, but a lot of things you can do. One of the things is market research because the reality is people love to help and they love to know that the uh, the things that they did made a difference. Mm-hmm. And so going out and, and doing market research, talking to providers or whoever, and getting their input on a product as a a genuine business interest and that sort of thing. But doing that, you now have the opportunity to come back to them and say, hey, by the way, look at what you helped us do. We have this brand new widget. You really had a hand in making this happen. Would you like to try it? That's your sales process. And you can do that to as many people as you have these conversations with. You just need to actually have the conversations with them. So I see market research as an offensive weapon as much as it is kind of like, I think most people think like, yeah, it's a box that just gets checked. Like wrong answer. You need to think about it in terms of how do you use it to build up your tribe of the of the willing, right? The people that are interested in what you're doing. The yeah, we, we talk about market research in the in the paradigm of 
validation and invalidation, right? Yep. And inevitably, if you're getting only validation, it seems good, but you're probably asking the wrong questions. Mm -hmm. right? You should have some semblance of validation and invalidation, which are both equally important. Sorry, Barbara, I cut you off. No, I was, I was, I was just riffing by myself here. So you know, <laughs> I just kind of blurt things out as they come to my brain, but. Building off of what Scott and Skinder just said, that's hard to say in a, in a alliteration. Um, <laughs> We're related. Yeah. You're related. Yeah, is yeah. that um, we have to get to the value prop, both an internal and external value prop, mm -hmm. because that goes to that whole market thing and who am I asking and where am I getting it all? Because when you do all that market research first, Mm -hmm. And now you're honing in on who your decision maker is, who your key clinical or non-clinical uh, persona is that I need to go to and stuff. What are those value statements that resonate with each of those? Mm -hmm. And you have to do all that research to understand, because if you're going to be in front of a value analysis, a couple of folks, and usually you're not in front of the actual committee because this is all the work that gets done beforehand. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to have a physician or a nurse practitioner or a pharmacist, respiratory therapist, whatever your product or service is, and you can't <laughs> articulate what's important to each of those personas, mm -hmm you're going to be dead in the water. And what I say about internally, you have to make sure that your potential customer also understands who's important internally. Mm -hmm. So you have to have enough information to know who's all along that continuum that's going to either touch it or be a recipient of information from it. So you've got to be very knowledgeable in that pre uh, selling point. Yeah, I think um, I think that's an excellent point. And you know, the the reality is that the reality has changed, right? And and it's a little cliche, to be like, yeah, COVID changed everything, but it really did. It expedited a lot of trends that were already in our industry. And where we stand today, I would argue that many organizations, whether we're talking big IDNs, we're talking individual practices. They don't know how to make decision making. They don't know how to make decisions on new products or services at all. Like they've lost that that ability. They know they have to do it differently. They don't know what it is. And so, I think if you're an enterprising company and you're trying to get somebody to buy something, especially something with a big price tag, you need to come in helping to define the buying process for um, for whatever you're selling. And I'll give you kind of the, the case in point. So, you know, I was on the provider side for a number of years and um, we would look at really big expensive software and there'd be like 30 VPs who are all involved. And what, what was amusing was you realized nobody here could say yes. Nobody knew who was supposed to say yes. 30 people could say no, but no one was prepared or knew that they were in the seat to say yes. And I think, if that say if that organization that the you know provide the vendor that wanted to come in was able to tell us hey here's how people evaluate our service we do this we do this we do this hey innovation guys this is what you do hey quality here's what we need to get from you and they drove the process and they defined the process i think it's an incredible opportunity to to 
separate yourself from the rest of the folks. And, and then just kind of last thing that I'll mention, and this is a little plug for you, Barbara. You know, I think the, the value analysis committee is uh, the boogeyman of healthcare, right? <laughs> no one knows what it is, where it is. Is it going to strike? Like, we don't have any idea what's going on with that. And I think it, if, if you are a decision maker, have some, some revenue goals tied to your uh, employment at your current company, you would do yourself a tremendous service by going and spending some time figuring out who's the VAC, what do they do, what do they care about, and then spending the time to build out the sales collateral, the marketing materials, whatever, to fit those different audiences for your product. What does what does ops care about? Well, your people again. I don't know how it was it uh, in your organizations, but you know we had ops, we had supply chain, we had finance, we had clinical, we had a couple of other people. If you could figure out for your widget. These are those different audiences. Here's what they care about. Here's how I tell that story. You're off to the races. Like it's just such a, an unfair advantage to do that kind of thing. Yes. Value analysis is like the whisperers of mm -hmm. the process. Yep. They know that the data, dollars, all that stuff is out there. But then they also know what are we, where do we have gaps in care? Where do we have gaps in service? Where do we have gaps? Because you have to pay attention to all those things that come out on your dashboards mm -hmm. in a provider organization. So by educating yourself in the supplier tech world, then you can ask some of those questions. Well, have your numbers trended in a good direction? Because if not, you know, here's where we can, you know, meet a gap or whatever. So it's really educating yourselves to also potentially educate the potential provider. Yeah. So the two things we've talked about so far, right, where there's challenges, the opportunities for improvement, I'll say for med tech companies. Number one is ensuring product market fit, doing the research, spending the time to make sure that the language is correct, that sort of thing. So that's number one. Number two, and Barbara, this was the point that you bring up, is this idea around um, the sales process and making sure you have the right people and the right uh, technologies and tools, whatever the case might be. Um, what are some other areas that we can look to improve? You know, if we wanted to improve our commercial model inside the company. Well, you said a keyword sales, but sales can't do it without marketing and marketing can't do it without sales. And too often I find silos. Yes. Or salespeople, and I may have mentioned this a few thousand times, so everybody can kind of roll their eyes. I'll give them a collective roll your eyes. But um, if you don't have those connected, how salespeople will sit in a meeting is, I don't know, I got this material. I don't know the answer to your question. This is all I have. I'll have to go find it or whatever. I I try to express to, to supplier clients that mm -hmm. these are actual conversations that take place yeah. when you send the people out into the world. Mm -hmm. And then you have to realize, are these sales forces and or marketing, do you own them? Are they on your payroll? Are they 1099s? Are they others? And then how do you tailor the training material mm -hmm. for that? front end conversation with potential clients to each of your own personas inside your supplier organization, your tech organization, mm -hmm. so that you're all speaking good language to those personas as well, but that marketing is involved 
all along the way, it's not that you give something to marketing and, oh, by the way, go make something pretty shiny, Yeah. put in a few great words in there, and then we're just going to give it to the salespeople. It has to be a, a blended organization with some great oversight to be able to tell that story. Yeah, I, I have two others um, that kind of build off of what, we, what we've talked about. Um, you, you referenced market research. I think one of the biggest challenges is the recency of that research. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I've referenced this a number of times uh, on this podcast, as well as to others. If you have not talked to your customers in the last two years, if you have not conducted a voice of customer market research activity, whatever it may be, formal or informal, mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form, you do not know your customer. Um, you have to have talked to them in a concerted effort to get research and understanding from a collective whole in the last two years, because everything before that does not matter. I don't care if you spent seven figures on a market research activity in 2019, and you invested a lot of time, effort, and money. Unfortunately, that was a bad investment in the long term. And you can't look at it as we did it, so we're not doing it again. That's just not wise. Recency is the key. And recency has to be the second half of 22 on. Mm -hmm. And that is really what it is. It's the second half. That is when the world changed. It was in the second half of last year to now. And if you haven't talked to your customer in that time period, you do not know your customers. And by June 1st, depending on how things may or may not get settled with the debt ceiling or whatever, you might be in a totally different picture. No one's buying anything. You know, we're we're not hurting people. We're not, you know, giving bad care. Why should we onboard new things? Because the financial market is so volatile. So you just have to be nimble. You have to have your ear to the ground and understand what's going on and how your decision makers in healthcare are being infected. Listen to me. I'm giving a disease to them. Affected. I was still trying to spell recency. I was having a hard time with that. That's an SAT word right there. Yeah. But I think that's really important too. So you can't just invest those millions and some sort of study, do shorter, more directed, recent things mm-hmm. in order to reflect what's happening real time. Yeah. When I was at, uh, I was a product manager for Medtronic in the diabetes business. This is back in like 2008, 2009. And um, every Friday, they would fly in, they would fly reps and would, would fly in with like their key doctor. And they had a whole thing where they would like trot out the, stuff and we do some market research and then they take them around to cool places in LA. And um, so Friday used to be a casual day at mini med Medtronic diabetes and good old Scott Alexander drew the short straw to always have to dress up in a suit on Fridays. <laughs> Cause like I would get trotted out and we talk about, Hey, here's where we're going. And this is the pipeline and blah, blah, blah. And um, I will tell you the weekly feedback we got from endocrinologists and primary care docs was invaluable. I mean, we would get, we could get feedback so quickly on what's working, what's not working, what's it like to be in a practice, how, you know, what do you not like, that sort of thing. And it was immensely valuable to be able to do that the next week 
you can change what you're saying. You can change what you're working on. You can sit down with the R&D team and say, hey, guys, we're getting this feedback consistently. We've talked to 60 uh, docs in the past month, right? Here's what the right answer is. And you can make those pivots. I think if your marketing team is not routinely talking to your customers, they're really missing out. And, and that's, you're going to get, you're going to get weird stuff. You guys played with chat GPT. Everybody on the planet has, right? But you know, you, you, you mess around with it. When you're first starting out, you ask it some questions. It's going to give you weird answers because that just doesn't have context. It's not learning. Mm-hmm. It's not learning, right? It's going to give you weird answers. And that's, that's what a lot of marketing teams can, that's what you run the risk of if you don't actually talk to your customers is you're going to give an answer. And then the sales, t- well, the, the customer or the prospect is going to see this and be like, that doesn't make sense. And the sales team, this is one of the reasons why you have this siloing thing that you talk about, Barbara. The sales team is going to look at them like, there's no way on God's green earth that I'm going to put that in front of that person because they're going to look at me like I've got a third head or a second head or whatever, how many fifth head, whatever the number of heads are, that, but they're going to be crazy. And that's the reason, one of the reasons why you have that thing. So your sales team or your marketing team needs to be talking to your customers on a regular basis to make sure they actually understand what do people care about. Well, one thing I found working with a few clients that are like service-based or organizations, mm-hmm. and so they have a very active customer service department, either it's chatbots or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I, so I'd ask, well, what are you doing with all of that information? And while you have somebody sort of on the phone or on the computer or whatever, mm-hmm. Can you slip in a couple of questions so that you get some of those feedbacks and how do you use it? And sometimes I get little crickets before an answer sort of pops up because they don't realize that in just a 30 second time frame, you can get some information that's going to at least go directionally what you need to do. So you need to look at what is your customer service facing yep. process like today. I love the chat box. They're fun. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Skinner, you had two things. You gave us one. What's the yeah, other? So, so the other one is uh, I'm constantly seeing uh, a disconnect between the macro environment and the micro environment. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is what I'm referencing is so many of our organizations that we talk to collectively the med tech companies, they love being in that micro space. They love talking to the surgeon. They love talking to the, the techs in that department. They love talking to the nurses. Yet oftentimes there's a disconnect between what they want and mm-hmm. the objectives of the hospital and what's happening at the top end of the hospital. And you can have a doctor all day long. And Barbara, you already touched upon this, saying, I want that piece of capital equipment. We need that. We have to have that. And then what happens is, and I've heard it, I just heard it the other day, a rep being like, this hospital is so dumb. They can't even sign a PO and the ho- and the doctor saying he needs to have it. And I'm yeah. like, do you know that they have, you know, they are constrained in so many which ways right now <laughs> that your piece of capital equipment that, by the way, is not inexpensive, okay, mm-hmm. um, is not top of mind for them. It is all these other things. You know, and we hear that constantly and we hear the dynamic of, you know, we hear the other side of that dynamic where if people on their organization do talk to leadership, okay, Mm -hmm. then they think, well, they don't get our products. Why are you even talking to them? Right. The disconnect between the 
I want to talk about features and benefits of products versus the leadership that wants to talk about macro pro- problems. What do those macro problems have to do with my widget? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's I see where that you need to connect different pieces of data. Yep. So everybody needs their stories to be accurate and factual and informed. Mm-hmm. Well, the same, the same message can be told mm-hmm. to the one side as the other side with a different slant, right? Mm-hmm. On the top side, they're so concerned about labor and supply costs right now. So mm-hmm. why can't the feature and benefit that you are offering to the surgeon where you're talking about, it's going to make your procedure that much easier, you're going to enjoy this, or the nurse is going to make your patient care that much easier and more efficient, et cetera. But talking about it with the senior leadership in a dynamic of this is going to solve your labor issue, here's how. This mm-hmm. is going to solve your training and an onboarding issue for new, for new nurses, new doctors, here's how. And that's where I feel like they're constantly trying to just ramrod this one message and be like, no, this is what we say. This is what we do. And mm-hmm. I don't care what your ears say. You're going to hear it the way I tell it to you. I, yeah. I was, I was talking with a, um, a buddy of mine who runs a medical device company a super smart guy. I really like talking with him. And we were, we we're chatting through sort of some commercial challenges that he's running into and um, their product has to do with readmissions. Right. And so, you know, they have a thing and it's for a certain segment of the population and is intended to reduce uh, readmissions. And the thing that we got into was an understanding that their target audience, the people they're calling on, talk about we got to reduce readmissions like all of us talk about, you know, American apple pie. It's like, of course, you want to reduce readmissions. And, you know, one of the things that we're going to explore is how do we get deeper into what that actually means? Because I think when I hear labor costs, right, I think, you know, P&L, the reality is that's, that's a hard thing. If you're a company, you're coming in, I've got a widget, right? I've got my widget here and um, I'm going to affect your, your labor costs. It's going to be really difficult. That's such a nebulous thing to deal yeah. with. So to your point, Skender, it's how do we, for the zone of, of influence that we have, how do we go about affecting labor? How do we improve the PNL in a way that's uh, tactical and tangible and real to people? And relevant. Relevant yeah. to people? That's, mm-hmm. That is a great way to go about getting attention. Because if you said, hey, I'm going to improve your labor, and, and they say, well, hold on now. You make a widget for, you know. You make a syringe. You make a syringe. Like, what are you talking about? No. Yeah. Okay. So now instead what we can talk about is. I make a syringe that's easy to train on, that uh, right is is foolproof, um, gives new nurses comfort so they don't have to call in the senior nurse to support them. Those are the things that we're going to do to help improve your efficiency of labor. Like that is meaningful. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yes, too many people think that if you say I'm going to be able to reduce 12 FTEs, I said so. I kind of smile mm-hmm. and I say those FTEs aren't going anywhere. Right. I said, they're going to be used more efficiently to use your word, Scott, and yep. effectively. So how do we say that? Yep. You know, what's that time factor? What are those people involved in? What level of, you know, nursing or 
um, technologists or whatever is that, or pharmacists even, mm -hmm. and how can we then have them available to help where things are needed and yes. stuff like that. But yeah. it's like, oh, you'll get rid of so many FTEs. And no, we don't yeah. want to get rid of them. That's right. Well, yeah. I know we've been talking for a while and we could talk for a whole lot longer, but um, this has been a great conversation. Should we uh, kind of wrap up with a couple of thoughts? I don't know, Barbara, Skinner, you guys want to kick off? Barbara, you want to start? Ladies first. You always do ladies first. So I'm Barbara knows a lot here. So I'm making sure. So one of the things that I jotted down, and I think I can do it as a, a last thing, is... Um, Skinder talked about um, creating, you know, not chasing trends and things. What's also difficult that applies, if now you have a novel improvement, even with a de novo FDA approval of a market that's been well established, and people don't think, well, I don't have a problem with this one. It's now like, you know... Uh, Calculators used to cost several hundred dollars and now, you know, they're like in Cracker Jack boxes or something. <laughs> and it's the same thing as why am I going to spend money for people who develop this new test or new device that's now novel and everybody's going to talk about it and all that sort of thing. That's where you have to have your story, your value story, very carefully crafted especially in those saturated markets in which something is novel. Yeah. Skinder? Uh, so, so my takeaway is going to be um, the subjectivity of being recent and relevant. Um, you have to be recent in your story, know what the needs are today, and be relevant to your audience. Know how to cater your story to your either the, the ground level clinician who's directly responsible for patient care and know how to tailor that to their leadership. Because although they're all concerned about patient care in some way, shape or form, they have different drivers that get them there. And if you don't know how to communicate that, you're never gonna get off the hamster wheel. Fantastic, great insight. My, my final thoughts really come down to product market fit and making sure that uh, what the product you have and the way that you talk about your product and the pain points that it solves for making sure that those align with the, the value drivers of what your audience is looking for. And um, this goes back to that market research piece that you have, Skender, about the recency because things have changed. And Barbara, back to uh, the role of value analysis. And I really like, I really like thinking about value analysis as a um, constituent because they really have to bring all the various voices in mm -hmm. to make a good decision. So I think it's about that. It's about product market fit. It's about research. It's about understanding your customer um, so hopefully if you've uh, been listening all the way through the episode, this has been really valuable. Uh, again, we're trying to help you get on the right path and, and sort of deliver best practices from a commercial standpoint. So thank you so much for listening and um, hope you've had a good time learn, uh, earning your MBA here with the, the med expert. Thank you to the med experts for laying out a guide to preparing for commercialization prior to getting FDA approval. We've learned to use real-time market research as an offensive tool to develop a value proposition, profile key decision makers, hone messaging, and identify your true customers. Thank you for listening in and don't forget to subscribe below so that you'll never miss an episode of the MedTech Business Academy.